My name's Tim. Um, if you don't know me, I'm one of the members here and um, I'm part of the Alex Park missional community. The season of Advent is a season of hope and this year there's a lot of it about. Everyone feels it. It's in the news most nights with high percentages of effectiveness. Hope that a saviour is coming that will liberate us from the clutches of a vast and suffocating enemy that has ruined our lives. And I wish I was talking about Jesus, the real reason for, ad for hope in Advent. But of course I'm not. I'm talking about a vaccine for a virus. A global rescue for a global crisis. A vaccine is a good thing. I don't want to say that it's a bad thing. Anything that prevents people dying is a good thing. But today, I want to explain to you how this story in Ruth should be a reason for us to focus our hope on Jesus and not a jab into our shoulder. Ruth and Naomi have just endured massive hardship and grief, which has made them refugees in a strange land where they don't know where their next meal is coming from. And through the kindness of Boaz, God rescues them. God shows his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love that we are learning about in this series in Ruth. And this story is not just an isolated story of someone being generous to a widow. The rescue that comes to Ruth and Naomi through Boaz is a direct picture, a foreshadow of the rescue that comes to us through Jesus, which is the ultimate global rescue for the ultimate global crisis, for the ultimate vast and suffocating enemy that is our sin, our rebellion against God. In fact, the whole story of Ruth is not just a foreshadow of the rescue of Jesus. It's part of the rescue of Jesus. It's a prequel. Before we dive into Ruth 2, let's have a quick look at Matthew chapter 1, which is a genealogy of Jesus. Let's be honest, most of us kind of switch off for these bits, but here's a really good reason not to. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of King David. Did you know that? That Ruth was King David's great-grandmother? And it goes on, down to Jesus himself. Ruth was Jesus's, by my count, 26th great-grandmother. When I found that out, it blew my mind. She's also one of the only three women mentioned in the genealogy, though of course there would have been many more involved. So Matthew went out of his way to name-check her. So actually to say this is just a foreshadow, a foretaste, is not doing it entirely justice. It's actually part of the story. And it even happens in Bethlehem itself. But it is most definitely a foreshadow. 
a picture, a preview of what's to come in Jesus. And that's what I want to focus on today. I'd like to focus on three aspects of Boaz's rescue of Ruth and Naomi, which reveal to us the rescue of Jesus and what that is like. Firstly, it is planned. Secondly, it is plentiful. Thirdly, it is permanent. Planned, plentiful, permanent. So firstly, planned. This is one of the few books of the Bible in which the actions of God are not explicitly stated, nor does God actually say anything. But in this passage in particular, the writer of Ruth is clearly making it clear to us that God is orchestrating the events. First of all, before we even meet Boaz, the writer flags him up in verse one as someone who's kind of waiting in the wings of the story. He tells us that he is a worthy man, a good man. The Hebrew word here is is hail. It literally means worthy of excellence. And to the original audience, it would have had connotations of character, wealth, position and strength. We're also told that he was related to Naomi's husband. So a family member who is wealthy. This is indicating that this is going to be an amazing story of coincidence and providence, which can only be explained by the hand of God. The narrator is not simply telling the story. Here you can imagine if he was telling this in person, after telling us about the hardship that Ruth and Naomi have just suffered, he would be saying, and you'll never believe what happened next. If we watch enough rom-coms, which I'm sure we're starting to do at this time of year, you'll know the moment in the film, maybe about five, 15 minutes in maybe, um, where uh, a character is, is introduced um, and you think, aha, this is the love interest. And this is what's happening here. The writer is giving us teasers. He's making it predictable, as predictable as a rom-com. Then we get another massive hint that this is not random chance, but a plan. Verse three, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, happened. Now the concept of luck was not really part of Israelite belief. So this might be a surprising choice of words if we're thinking that the writer knows that this is anything but luck. But remember, Ruth is from Moab, not originally an Israelite. So some commentators have suggested that the writer is maybe telling it from Ruth's eyes here. Whatever the correct interpretation, one thing is really clear. The writer is screaming at us. This was a providential intervention of God. God planned that we should that she would enter this field owned by a good man, a wealthy man, a believer. He greets his men by saying, God is with you, who is also related to her. And on the point of being related, you might have noticed that Naomi gives him another label, our guardian redeemer. In Israelite family law at the time, guardian redeemers were people who had an obligation to help family members, relatives in need. It might have meant buying back land that they had to sell, or in this case, providing food. 
Um, it was all to ensure the continuance of the family line. And in light of what we just learnt, aren't we glad that this family line did continue? The lining up in time, place and person here is unmistakably being presented as the hand of God, God's providence. And Naomi knows it by saying, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, as the NIV translates it. She's explicitly saying that God is behind these events. The Hebrew word translated as kindness here is hesed. And the title of this series in Ruth is a definition of it. God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. It's also interesting that when Ruth comes back, one of the first thing Naomi says is, blessed be the man who took notice of you. She was almost anticipating the rescue, believing it could happen. We're not told, but perhaps she spent the day praying for this rescue. You can sense that Naomi had a faith that God would rescue them. As we heard about last week, Naomi has been pushing into God and his goodness in a time of hardship. And the same is true of the rescue of Jesus. It was planned. Jesus is our guardian redeemer. At the very start in Genesis, Jesus is mentioned not by name, but it clearly says in Genesis 3, verse 15, God speaking to the serpent, the devil, and I will put enmity between you and the man and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He is Jesus here. Straight after the need for a rescue is made clear, the fall, God has a rescue plan. Actually, that rescue plan existed before the fall. And later in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, still hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, we get more details, exact details of the life and death of Jesus. You might be familiar with the passage of Isaiah that we often hear at Christmas, Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice it's not even in the future tense, it's so certain to happen that it's in the present tense. And you know what's even more amazing about how the rescue of Jesus was planned? In the New Testament, we learn that God even planned the people he was going to rescue. Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Yes, if you're a Christian listening to this, before he even made the world, he chose and he planned to rescue you. And as we got a hint of at the end of that verse, this isn't a rescue that is just enough. It says he also glorified. Let's return to Ruth 2 to learn how this is a plentiful rescue. At the end of the day, gathering discarded grain from Boaz's field, we learn that Ruth has gathered an ephah of grain. An ephah 
is about the amount of grain needed to feed them both for two weeks. In one day, that's quite a haul, isn't it? Imagine if you presented a beggar with two weeks worth of food in one go. Imagine your weekly shopping bill and then double it. Imagine someone provided that for you in a moment of hardship. That's how plentiful, that's how plentifully God has provided for Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. Actually, although plentiful gives my three points some alliteration, I don't think it quite goes far enough. I, I would say this is lavish. And when Ruth, sorry, when Boaz invites Ruth to dine with him later on, he serves her with roasted grain. That was luxury. Ruth had probably never eaten roasted grain, even before becoming a penniless refugee. But plentiful in amount and quality doesn't go the whole way to describe Boaz's rescue of Ruth. He doesn't just throw her a bag of grain like we toss a beggar some coins. He invites her to stay with the other women gleaning in his field. He tells her to stay in his field, to not go elsewhere. He repeats that instruction in verse 8. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. He knows the dangers that, that are out there. And he tells the men in his field not to lay a hand on her. He's not saying um, don't hit her. He's, he's saying don't hit, hit on her. Hands off. Like any father would, would tell a group of men around his daughter. Boaz provides not just plentiful grain, but plentiful protection. As if she was his own daughter. In verse 8, he even calls her my daughter. The ways in which Boaz gives Ruth the VIP treatment just go on. He lets her get water from the jars that the men have filled, which would be usually be for the men to drink from. He tells them to not only respect her, but to throw down extra bundles of grain for her to pick up. And Boaz himself makes clear it is not just his kindness Ruth is receiving, it is the Lord's kindness. Verse 12, he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done, for showing loyalty to Naomi, leaving her father and mother, and choosing to be a refugee to join God's people. Now, you might see here an inconsistency with this being a foretaste of the rescue of Jesus. Here we see Boaz telling Ruth he is showing her this kindness as a reward for what she's done. But as Christians, we know that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we bring to our own salvation. But I want to suggest that we look back to the motivation behind Ruth's actions, her desire to be part of God's people, even though she's an outsider, to leave behind what is comfortable. So these are rewards we get for being part of God's people, and they are rewards that Jesus has won for us. And what makes it even more extravagant is that Ruth is not a seasoned Jew uh, who is well-versed in all the traditions. She's a recent convert, a newcomer. Because of our sin, we are outsiders to God, and yet he rescues us. So Ruth is just as undeserving as us. We outsiders can come and shelter under the wings of the God of Israel, as Boaz puts it. I really love that picture. When I think hard about it, I can, I can feel inside 
the comfort that it brings. And this plentiful, this lavish rescue is actually only a tiny foreshadow of the rescue Jesus brings us. Jesus rescues us from the depth of our sin, our rebellion against God, and takes it upon himself. That is deeper than the depths of lockdown, deeper even than the depths of poverty we see Ruth in here. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our sins. I'm going to ask you to do something difficult. I want you to imagine that every time you sinned against God, every time you rebelled against God, every time you turned from him in your actions, speech and thoughts, in your whole life to date, had been videoed and put together in a compilation film. Every time you gossiped or thought badly about someone or looked lustfully at someone who, who you weren't married to, I could go on with the examples, how many hours of footage would that be? Not just in your actions and your words, but also your thoughts. I know mine would be a box set, to put it, to put it mildly. And then add to that the box set of the rebellion and sin you are yet to commit in the rest of your life. Jesus rescues you, us, from all of that individually. Every person who accepts Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, who accepts him as Lord, Jesus takes their sin upon himself. Imagine the sheer volume of that. It kind of boggles the mind. That is how plentiful, how enormous Jesus' rescue is. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't rescue us just enough. Just enough to pay it back. Just as Boaz doesn't, give, doesn't just give Ruth what she needs for that day, God isn't like, oh, I'll rescue you, all right, I'll let you off. No, Jesus pulls us out of the depths of our sin. And he doesn't just leave us on the shore with the rescue ring still around us. It means we stand in perfect white clothing before God. The rescue of Jesus means we are united with him. It means we have the Holy Spirit and all its amazing gifts. And add to that the promise of an eternity with him in heaven, where there will be no suffering, no sin, no darkness, and definitely no lockdown. The rescue we see here in Ruth is plentiful, but it is only a tiny foretaste, a tiny shadow of what is to come. Cinema projectors use an image of just 35 millimetres across to project onto a screen maybe nine metres high and 15 metres wide. The small rescue of Ruth and Naomi by Boaz is the projection film for the colossal rescue of Jesus. We are the morally bankrupt outsiders and newcomers being rescued by a perfect God. And it's a rescue that is permanent. In this story in Ruth, Boaz tells her she can stay until the end of the harvest, meaning for that season, Ruth and Naomi's worries about feeding themselves are over. And later on in this, this series, spoiler alert, um, we see that Boaz marries Ruth. That's providing 
an even more permanent redemption, even more permanent protection and provision. And likewise, Jesus' rescue of us is permanent. He has paid for our sin in full. It is finished. If we accept Jesus, there is nothing more we need to do or can ever do to further earn our salvation. And beyond this life, Jesus has promised us an eternity with him in the new creation. And this vaccine? Well, it might not even protect you from COVID permanently. We don't know, but it could well be that we need boosters every year. And even if it did, I don't think this will be the last pandemic that we will face in our lifetimes. If we go back to mass air travel in the way that we were, I'd say it's pretty inevitable that another one will come and we'll have to make a whole new vaccine. Hopefully we'll be a bit more ready than this time. But I think it will happen. And that's not even to get started on all the brokenness of this world, which a vaccine won't protect you from. The vaccine promises to bring us back to normality. But is normality really so awesome? Even when we are all vaccinated and life returns to some kind of normal, that normal is still broken, full of suffering, and worst of all, full of sin. And no vaccine can protect us from the effects of sin. I don't want to downplay COVID. It is huge. It's been a world war, but without the bullets. And it has led to, to hundreds of thousands of people to die before their time. And, and it's heartbreaking. But the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, come down to earth to be a sacrifice for our sin. To rescue us from slavery to sin. What we celebrate at Christmas. It makes Covid look like a blip. Yes, there will be worldly material benefits to the end of the pandemic. Economies will recover, jobs will return, there'll be full sports stadiums again, we'll be able to travel, see our friends and families. Again, I don't want to say the vaccine is a bad thing, it's not. I think it's incredible the speed of, at which it's been developed. Uh, it usually takes 11 years, as, as we've been learning on the news, and it's taken 11 months. It's amazing. But by the way, let's not forget that what the scientists are working with here, the, the human immune system, is, was God's idea. And it's a good thing that people will be protected from COVID and not die a lonely death, separated from their loved ones in a sterile hospital, surrounded by people in masks. That, that's been a genuinely heartbreaking thing about this pandemic. But let's not kid ourselves. We'll just be going from the COVID-19 broken and sinful world to the post-COVID-19 broken and sinful world. And by the way, a lot of brokenness has just carried on through COVID-19 as if it never happened. Wars are still being fought. People are still hurting each other in broken relationships. Racism is alive and well. Countries are divided by toxic political tribalism. So as Christians this year, we need to be more, more than ever intentional about celebrating Advent. Because if we find that a vaccine, which won't actually make the world much of a better place, inspires more hope in us than the, than the future coming of Jesus, than Jesus come down to earth, 
then clearly something is wrong. And I think there's a real danger of that happening. I felt it myself, looking forward to you know, the holidays that we can have and the people we can go and see again. Would it not reveal that what we worship and put our hope in is not Jesus, but the life we used to have? If we are pining after the world of 2019, are we not setting our hopes a little bit low? Looking at an old flickering streetlight in the face of a glorious sunrise. And if you're not a Christian listening to this, this applies to you too. Jesus can rescue you in a far bigger way than a jab to the shoulder, which will mean you can go to the pub again or fly to Spain again or watch a football game again. You can also receive God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And in fact, you know how I was saying that this is a rescue that was planned? Well, you know, God planned for you to listen to this message. It may be that God has planned your plentiful and permanent rescue. If you want to explore this further, just reply to any email you get from Redeemer. We'd love to talk to you more about it. Or go to redeemermcr.com connect and fill out the form. And aside from placing our hope in Jesus this Advent, I think this story is telling us something else. Boaz was a human. It's telling us that Hesed, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, can be channeled through us. And in this story, it's particularly highlighting a concern for the poor and vulnerable. Along with the gifts you give to family members this Christmas, would you consider giving a gift to the poor and vulnerable of Chalton? As many of you will know, Redeemer has close links with a charity in Chalton who work with the homeless called Reach Out to the Community. If you would like to give um, some money or some, some things, some warm clothes to them, just speak to Greg, I'm sure he'd be happy to um, point you in the right direction with that. God commands us to love and bring light to this world. In what ways are we answering this call? How are you projecting the love of God to those around you this Christmas? If you're a regular member at Redeemer, you will have received packs containing this card. And we've got space uh, to put the names of three people who we want to pray for. And we've got lots of ideas as to how we can bring light into our neighbourhoods. I think this year it's even more important than ever that we are proclaiming Jesus because the people around us are worshippers of 2019 and are blind to the ways that the end of this pandemic is not going to save them in the way that Jesus could save them. And I hope this year, if you're a Christian, a renewed sense of awe at the amazing rescue Jesus brings can be fuel for a passion to bring that hope to those around us. In those excited conversations we are part of, looking forward to the end of lockdown, to the end of tears, to the end of COVID, 
Are we hoping in Jesus so much to be able to say out loud that our hopes are set on something bigger? Redeemer Church, this passage in December 2020 is a call to pull our heads out of the gloom and uncertainty of COVID and refocus and rejoice in the, in the glory and certainty of the rescue of Jesus and not get distracted by hopes of getting back to normal life. To marvel at and to proclaim to others God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, and to be channels of that love in the places that God has put us. Let's pray.